John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The beginning of the Christian religion. We can't call Moses religion Christian. It was just a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We can't call the patriarch religion so Christian because they didn't know the Messiah yet like we do. But he is being introduced to us here, especially in this first chapter, in great detail, day by day, about events and the names of men and what towns they were from and what professions they were had and what father's names were. It's remarkable. The detail that we have just in this one gospel of John. Now, then if we compare scripture like we're supposed to, we can go to Luke chapter 3 and find out that it was the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. And Luke just takes us right down through the different men that were reigning under Titus at that particular time. We're very blessed. We have a very specific written record involving many eyewitness accounts of the origin, source of our religion, of its great teacher, leader, God in the flesh, rabbi and master, bishop and shepherd, apostle and high priest, and the redeemer of our souls, all in one man, Christ Jesus. John gave us a wonderful introduction in the first 18 verses. Then he described day number one, when the Jews sent priests and Levites out to the wilderness of Judea at Bethabara, where he was baptizing to question him. He told them plainly, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet that was to come. I'm not Elijah the prophet, though he was. They just didn't understand it, and he didn't give them any mercy because they didn't deserve any. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. With those words, they would have known that he was quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, and they should have gone there and thought about it a little bit and said, if you're the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Where's the Lord? Show us the Lord. But they didn't because they didn't really want... Either of them. That was day one. Day two that we covered last Sunday runs from verses 29 down through 34. And it's day two after John is confronted. Now, for your timeline in your mind, Jesus was baptized at least 40 days before this day two. Because John is going to announce him as the Lamb of God and say what happened to Jesus and what John observed at his baptism that had taken place earlier. John does not baptize Jesus here. That is recorded in Matthew chapter 3 and in Mark and in Luke. Here, we just have the formal public announcement by John the Baptist of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it occurred on day two. Day one, here's what John said. In verse 26, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. 
See, John now knew that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, had been baptized, the Holy Ghost was upon him, and he was standing in the throngs of Israelites and Jews, but they didn't know him. Hadn't been pronounced yet. Hadn't been identified yet. And so the next day when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, after his 40 days of temptation, then John the Baptist formally announces him and says in verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, I have need to be baptized of thee? No, that's not what he said here because that took place 40 days at least earlier. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now how did he know he was the Lamb of God? Because he had seen the dove descend upon him at his baptism. This is painful for me to explain to you to get you to a mental timeline. I'm sorry that it's not on a piece of paper in front of you. I failed you as your pastor. Because I don't want to belabor this point or waste any more time on it, but I want you to have the order correct. John is now publicly pointing him out, and it's very unique because now instead of saying, there's one standing among you, John now gets to say, this is he, right here. It's huge. This day too is huge of the days that John describes. This is the beginning of our religion. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And we covered that thoroughly last Lord's Day. Verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. This is said in verse 15. John the Baptist said this in verse 15. It's recorded of him in verse 27. John the Baptist said this of the one who was among the people but hadn't yet been revealed. But now John has him right there in their eyesight. This is he of whom I have been speaking. There is one that is preferred before me. He was before me. He's better than me. He's greater than me in dignity and honor. He was before me because he is the eternal God. As we already know, because we've read that first 18 verses that tells us, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. That's all we need. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There was an eternal God on earth. And John here is announcing Him as the Messiah of Israel. This is He of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Jesus is standing right there in front of him. After me cometh a man. Let's never forget that the Son of God is a man. He's also God, but He is the God-man. Verse 31, And I knew Him not. He's referring to a past event. There was no collusion before this past event of His baptism. I did not know Him. We did not sit down and conspire to mislead the people of Israel. I didn't, he says this twice. It's verse 31 and verse 33. Look at 33, and I knew him not. Why are words like this so important? Because John is the greatest stickler for minutia and detail in all the Word of God. He wants everything exactly right. He is the one that calls people antichrist for missing the fact that Jesus was the Christ. He calls them antichrist for missing the fact that Jesus Christ did come in a literal, physical body. These things are taught to us in the first two epistles of this writer. 
He is particular. When he finds a man that is casting out devils in the name of Jesus, but isn't following Jesus directly, he stops him and tells him, you better, you better stop doing that. You do not have a right or authority to do that. He is concerned about the authority of his Lord. When his Lord is not honored in the next verses in Luke chapter 9 by a village of the Samaritans, they did not give him a parade. And so John gets his brother and they come to Jesus and ask, may we call fire down from heaven and burn up these Samaritans? <laughs> no. We can't go there. What did Jesus say? Ye know not what spirit ye are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. But look at his zeal. And so we have here very meticulous an eyewitness account written down. Remember verse 19? This is the record. Then we have verse 34. And I saw and bear record. And verse 32. And John bear record. We have a written account of eyewitnesses of the first head, the head of our religion and the first two men of our religion, John and Jesus. Verse 31, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. That's all I was told. My commission was simple. My job description was short. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. I am preparing a people by repentance to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 32, and John bear record. This is John the Baptist. This is not the Apostle John. The Apostle John is writing about John the Baptist. And sometimes we may get a little confused, but don't. If you need to write B in there, beside John when it's the Baptist, do so. And John bear record saying, John inserted these, the Apostle John inserted these five words. And John bear record saying, John is testifying on day two of an event that happened 40 days earlier, at least. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. I saw it. Eyewitness accounts. I saw. I was an eyewitness. I was there. I saw it. These are wonderful words. You know, some of the factors that are that pagans in our nation use in our legal system about eyewitness accounts. They have a few questions that have to be answered. Let me take the first three. Just There's a list of questions to verify eyewitness accounts. These are This is our pagan legal system. Just listen to these questions that they use to verify eyewitnesses. How well could the eyewitness observe the thing he reported that happened. <laughs> well, John was standing next to him. Uh, we were this close, Your Honor. My arm, my right arm was around his back and I had his hands in my left hand and I was baptizing him. That's how close I was, sir. <laughs> what, what would you estimate the distance to be? About 18 inches. How close did the dove get? Well, it landed on him. How far would you estimate? 24 inches. Eyewitness. I saw. And he's bearing record. John the Baptist didn't sit around and write books. 
The Apostle John sat around and wrote books. He was exiled on the Isle of Patmos for a while and he wrote books to help the early church and he wrote down what he heard John the Baptist say and what he saw of John the Baptist and what the Lord inspired in him to write down. The second question that's often asked, when did this eyewitness report the event in relation to his observation? Soon? Later? Much later? How many years had passed from the actual event that was observed to the reporting of it? What do we have here? Forty days. Third question. Did he make statements damaging to self, thus likely not seeking to distort the truth? Does John the Baptist ever denigrate himself? Constantly. Constantly. These are the top three questions that the world uses to verify an eyewitness account. John is a great witness. And we have it written down for us. Verse 32, And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon Him. Jesus is standing right there in day two. John is not talking, John the Baptist is not talking about someone that isn't there. John the Baptist is talking about the the Lord Jesus Christ standing right there on this second day. Verse 33, and I knew him not. He wants to continue to say there was no collusion. We did not conspire this. But the reason I was there and the reason he was there at the same time and the reason that it happened the way it happened is he that sent me to baptize with water, the God that commissioned me, that we're told about, first of all, in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He that sent me to baptize with water, this God, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. This is the anointed one of God that is able to baptize Israel with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John the Baptist is recorded by those three gospel writers as preaching, there is one coming that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so that is why God said to John the Baptist, you get in that Jordan and you baptize people that repent to prepare them for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that I'm sending to Israel. Now when you baptize one of them and the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven, that is the one, that is my sign, and the Spirit will remain on the one that is my Messiah. And that is why in verse 32, John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, first act, two, and it abode upon him. And when we look at his commission and charge in verse 33, there were to be two events. Thou shalt see the Spirit descending, number one, and remaining on Him, number two. The same is He which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Verse 34, and I saw, and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. This is the beginning of our religion. This is the Son of God. What is the Son of God? A man In the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, 
He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. Baptists don't get as confused as others do about the Sonship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Son of God by virtue of His glorious, miraculous incarnation and conception in the womb of a virgin and His birth by her into this world. He was made of a woman, made under the law as a Jew, and that is the Son of God. And John says, this is the Son of God. And Jesus is standing right there. It's beautiful. How much more detail do you want when you take the four gospel accounts? Do you want to tell me about the origin of Hinduism? Tell me about it. They don't know. You want to tell me about an illiterate Arab sitting in a cave and dictating for 23 years the so-called words from Gabriel that are contradictory, have no prophecies in them, and have led to the debauchery and dysfunctional lives and violence of Islam? Do you want to tell me about the origin of worshiping the Great Spirit? By American Indians that smoke themselves every winter in their teepees with buffalo dung? This religion is entirely different. And it turned the world upside down as admitted by its enemies. Wonderful record we have. That was day two. And it's a wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for showing us this. But now we come to day three. And you're going to find day four at verse 43. I've been limiting your perspective so far, and you're going to find day five, very possibly, at chapter two and verse one. But we'll get to that in time. We have day three, and that's what we want to deal with. Verse 35, and I'm going to read down through 42. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak, that is John the Baptist, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, by interpretation, a stone. Amen and amen. We've got brothers and family relationships and partnerships and names and last names and first names. And, re- and given names and new names all lined up in this detailed historical account of the origin of our religion. Right. The next day after. But we got a word again. That again, introducing this third day, is telling us that something's going to happen on day three that also happened on day two. 
And that is Jesus Christ was present and John publicly identified him. Again, something's got to happen again. And it tells us immediately. Jesus is there. As he's, and he's walking. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Except he's getting a little excited. So we have an exclamation point in verse 36. It says the next day after. After what? After the previous day. Which is day two. John stood. Day three. It's not saying after John stood on day two. It doesn't fit the grammar of the verse. It's after that second day. We have a third day. Again, something's going to take place. And it took place while John stood on day three. John stood and two of his disciples. Now, why are we only given the name of one? Now, this is something I can't prove. And if I can't prove it, I'll tell you I can't prove it. The other one is the Apostle John. There's reasons to believe it's the Apostle John. One of which is, John never talks about himself by name. Four or five times, this writer refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't say, and John was lying on his bosom. And John did this, or John did that, or Peter turning around saw John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here he just says, there were two disciples, and when he gets down to verse 40, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't change a thing. Because what we're going to key in on is Andrew and Andrew's brother Peter, because that's the focus of day number three. Again, the next day after, John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. When a regenerate man has the Spirit of God, his preferred view is of the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was truly a friend of the bridegroom. He loved to see him. He loved to watch him. He loved to hear him, even though he had precious few moments to do so, and his life was snuffed out, and he was in glory. But he watched. He looked upon him as he walked. Do you know what pleasure it gave John the Baptist? His whole ministry, his whole life, waiting 30 years in the wilderness to begin preaching repentance to Israel was to watch Jesus walking and to know that's the bridegroom. And I get to be here as his friend. In one respect, he's the best man because he was the greatest man ever born of women. In another respect, anyone that's part of the bride is greater than the best man. Because the bridegroom takes the bride home and they inherit his estate together and the friend of the bridegroom goes back to playing basketball and living in a college dorm. If you'll allow allow me. Beautiful. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, this time with an exclamation point. Every faithful minister and every faithful Christian will be bold to point out the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't performing a miracle. He wasn't dying on the cross. He was walking. But John knew who he was. And he wanted to convey that most valuable information. 
as to whom and what office this Jesus of Nazareth actually held. It cost him two disciples. Do you think he cared? Not a chance. Behold the Lamb of God. I sent you this week some accounting work done by our resident CPA that showed that over 1,500 years of the Old Covenant from Mount Sinai to the Lord Jesus Christ, 40 to 400 million lambs were slaughtered. Now the reason there's such a gap is because Josephus' numbers overwhelm us. We were very, very conservative. Our CPA was very conservative in coming up with 40-some million. But Josephus said that at Passover, 256,000 lambs were slaughtered for the households of Israel. And when you add that up over 1,500 years, it comes to a big number. So we get up toward 400 million lambs, but now there's one. Behold, I need a definite article of the English language. The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. There's only one. There's no more. He's replaced 40 million. He's replaced 400 million. He would have replaced 400 trillion. Because He's the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb of some shepherd or some farmer. Thank you, Lord, for the Lamb of God. Verse 37. And the two disciples heard Him speak, and they followed Jesus. They heard John say, That is the Lamb of God. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. They say, Boss, have a good life. We want to follow Jesus. And they left and turned. And John would have just grinned. John would have enjoyed that. Because notice, remember what I read to you to open up this day. It was His fulfillment. It was His pleasure. It was His honor to be at the wedding, in a sense, of being able to join the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, with the bride, those that believed on Him. And so to see two of His that had followed His baptism of repentance want to follow the Son of God would have blessed Him. The two disciples heard Him speak, and they followed Him. What's going to happen to you today? Because you hear the Word of God spoken to you. It should change your life. It should change my life. They heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. That's all it took. Off they went to follow Jesus. You're hearing so much more today. Will it affect you? Or will you be a hearer of the Word and not a doer? Will you be stony ground? Will you be a wayside hearer? Will you be a thorny ground hearer? When you are privileged, and I say this for the office, and for this the first one, when you are privileged to hear a Baptist preacher preach the truth from the Word of God as measured by the Word of God, no matter how poorly presented about Jesus Christ, and about true biblical motherhood, does it affect you? Does it change you? Does it humble you, convict you, convert you? Lord, help us to be like Andrew was and his fellow disciple in verse 37. John the Baptist was inspired directly. 
your pastor is inspired indirectly by reading the inspired words of those who were inspired. Following Jesus Christ here in verse 37 is not their apostleship. That's going to come later at the Sea of Galilee. They are far from the Sea of Galilee. They're just following Jesus instead of following John as disciples wanting to learn more. They had exhausted everything John the Baptist had to tell them because it was all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it says they followed him, that doesn't mean that they're fishers of men yet. That's going to happen later. doesn't happen here. This is just following them as believing he is the promised Messiah and the Son of God. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? You will never follow the Lord without Him knowing before your first move. I know it's day four, and we shouldn't cheat by looking ahead at day four, but is Jesus going to know about Nathaniel before He makes His first move? While He's still sitting under the fig tree, does Jesus know Nathaniel? Is that comforting to you? That's very comforting to me. Very comforting. You'll never follow the Lord without Him knowing your first move. The Word of God, according to Hebrews 4.12, discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. That means our hearts ought to be clean before Him and our thoughts ought to be righteous. If Jesus the Lord looked at you today, it said, then Jesus turned and saw them following When Jesus looks at you today, seeing that he looks right inside you and all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do, here's my question. What does he see? What did he see in Andrew? A fisherman that had set aside his nets, a cash business that would not be supporting him for him to travel the 70 miles by foot to the Jordan River to be baptized of John the Baptist and to hang around a while as a disciple to learn as much as he could of John the Baptist. That's what he saw. Then he saw a man who, when the Savior was pointed out to him by John the Baptist, quickly dropped his loyalty to the Baptist and went after the second Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's walking among his candlestick right now. The Lord Jesus Christ is here by the seven spirits of God that are in his churches walking around this church. When he looks inside you, what does he see? What's your ambition, your motivation? What's your greatest affection? Where's your attention? What are your plans for this day and your little tiny life? We should be sobered. What seek ye? The Lord's personal manners are so gentle and nice. He negatively asked them a question, putting them on the spot, you know, to be confronted by the Lord, turning around and saying, what are you looking for? What seek ye? But then he positively asked them a question, saving them the shame of having to ask him. I find it very kind. He's standing at the door and knocking. All we have to do is open the door and he'll come in. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. That's not for salvation. That's for fellowship. Jesus knew exactly why they were following him, but he still asked them just to have that little exchange with them and to let them know that it's all okay and that they could tell him the truth and that he would welcome them. They say unto him, the second half of verse 38, Rabbi, 
It's a Hebrew word in use from about the first century B.C. sense, which is to say being interpreted master. The word rabbi to a Jew meant you're a master of the law. You know the word of God. It wasn't inappropriate for the Lord Jesus Christ since at 12 he could handle all their doctors of the law. Uh, we're, we're to call no man rabbi on earth religiously. We're to call no man master on earth. We're to call no man father on earth. The word rabbi only occurs five times in a positive light in the Bible, all in the Gospel of John. Twice Matthew refers to it when he says, don't call anyone rabbi on earth. And those men that love to be called rabbi in public, they have their reward. That's all they're going to get. That's where, that's the only times it's used. But anyway, that's, it's here in the Word of God for us. And we're thankful every time the Holy Spirit puts in parentheses, which is to say being interpreted master or teacher or doctor of the law. Rabbi, where dwellest thou? Where are you staying right now? We don't want you to get away from us. We want to know where you're staying so that we can come and hang around and not get lost. We want to follow you from now on. It's all implied in those words, where dwellest thou? They were willing to follow Jesus so they needed to know where his base of operations was, where his personal residence was, where he was staying so that he couldn't slip away from them. They had little to no idea they'd be wandering Israel with him for the next three and a half years. And neither did Jesus tell them at this particular time, the fox, the foxes of the earth have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. And Bethabara was no special place on the planet. It was called, it's a W word, the wilderness. It was called D places, desert places where John was baptizing. Verse 39, He saith unto them, Come and see. Isn't that nice? Come and see. Has Jesus said anything like that to you? He said something better. He says, You don't have to come to me. I've come to you. I'm at your heart knocking. Behold, I stand at the door. I am standing at your door knocking. If any man hear my voice, and will open the door. I will come into him, singular, and sup with him, and he with me. Revelation 3.20. It's our verse. They don't have a clue about its meaning. They abuse it, twist it, convert it, corrupt it, and pervert it from its intention of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door. You've just got to open it. How do you open it since you can't reach in and it's not dealing with your fleshly heart anyway? You humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for being so distracted with all the things of life, but come in and have fellowship with me. I want you. I need you. Help me, Lord. I give up everything of this life. I open to you. And I've taught you extensively on it two and a half years ago. Because the Lord, in a very particular event in my life, caused me to preach four sermons to you in the fall of 2013 about this subject. Come and see. They came and saw where He dwelt. You know, if Jesus is there, who cares what the surroundings look like? You know, when you go to a 
hotel, you start checking out things. You want to see how clean the bathroom was. Does it have a marble top? You know, is it a king-size bed, queen, double, single? What is it? You know, how thick is the carpet? How nice is the bed? How fluffy, fluffy are the pillows? How many pillows are there? You know, how much gaudy decorations are hanging around? How solid is the door? All the different things. What's the view like? How, how many square feet do I have here? What's in this refrigerator? All these questions, and none of it matters if there's one thing there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Do you know that we just sang a song a few minutes ago? Right. That prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. Right. We get ourselves all wrapped up in square footage and cost and value per square foot and nice furniture and leather this and that and so what? Oh Lord, help us keep our priorities right. Andrews was right. He left his business. He was in Judea, well away from Galilee, to to meet the Lord. He saw where he dwelt. And he abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, or four o'clock in the afternoon our time. Verse 40, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him, that is Jesus, was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. So we're told that what they heard in verse 37 was John the Baptist identifying Jesus Christ, because it tells us that right here in 40. One of the two which heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew. What do we know about Andrew? Andrew's a Greek name that means manliness. He's one of Jesus Christ's twelve chosen apostles. He was a brother we don't know whether he was younger or older than Simon Peter. He and Peter lived in a city called Bethsaida, close to the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. The Bible tells us these things. Andrew and Peter lived together. They would have been over 30 years of age. Jesus Christ wouldn't have called a 25-year-old to be an apostle because nobody would listen to a 25-year-old. Here in Judea, they were with John the Baptist. Andrew and Peter believed on they, they were following John the Baptist because they knew something special was up from heaven. And here's where they believed on Christ in Judea at the Jordan River. They were formally called as apostles later. It's where we, we have it recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1. Andrew is found second in some lists of the apostles, fourth in other lists. He was close to the lofty triumvirate of Peter, James, and John. He would be fourth. When Jesus and his apostles were looking at the beauty of the city of Jerusalem and Jesus prophesied of its destruction, there were four there. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. John will record in just a few chapters that it was Andrew that brought the lad with the lunch for feeding of the 5,000. Andrew with Philip informed Jesus of the Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us anything more about him. An epistle by his name is Spurious. The epistle of the Acts of Andrew is Spurious. The church has always rejected it. You haven't even heard about it. It is only tradition that says Andrew was crucified on an X cross in Achaia, where Corinth was located. It's only tradition, but there is a city and there is a bay 
in Scotland called St. Andrews, where supposedly some missionaries came. It's hard for me to even say these words to you, because if it's not the Word of God, I don't even know why I'm telling you. But listen, if you're ever doing some geographical searches and you come upon St. Andrew's Bay and the city of St. Andrew's, they still believe it to this time. And who knows? Some missionaries came there with some relics of St. Andrew and preached the gospel in that place. Andrew is identified by our writer, the Apostle John, as Simon Peter's brother, Because everybody knew about Simon Peter. And Andrew was his brother. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother. Verse 40. All the attention is on a man named Andrew. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon. And saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Messiah is an Old Testament Hebrew word occurring only twice. In Daniel chapter 9, occurring only twice in the New Testament. Both times here in John chapter 1. Messiah there, Messiah here. Like Elijah and Elias. And what does it mean? Christ. What does Christ mean? The anointed one. Because Messiah would be anointed at his baptism. And this anointed one is Christos. Christ, the anointed one of God. When we say the Lord Jesus Christ, that middle name Jesus is his personal name. Though no one ever spoke it to him during his life because it was Jehoshua. Jesus, personal name, Christ, his office as the anointed one of God was just joined to his personal name and the compound became his name so that 257 times in our New Testament it's Jesus Christ and Lord is his position over us as our ruler. Lord Jesus Christ. We are speaking of one over us That is Jesus of Nazareth, anointed by God as His Son, ascended into heaven and sitting at His right hand. The Lord Jesus Christ. Can you keep those three words separated somewhat in your mind to maximize the benefit of the compound name? He first findeth his own brother Simon. The first thing he did was to go find his brother. Election tends to run in families according to the Bible. So we have hope in the effort. On the day of Pentecost, verse 39, For the promises unto you and to your children, and as many as the Lord our God shall call, the seed of the righteous shall be blessed. There's a number of references like that. We see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, right on down to David and Jesus Christ. While all around them there are family trees of the Egyptians, family trees of the Hittites, family trees, and only once in a while is there someone pulled out like a Rahab the harlot or an Ethiopian eunuch. So you go for your family. Look at this verse. I love it. 
You should love it. It should move you. Here's a practical lesson that we can gather from today's preaching. From this passage of Scripture, He first findeth His own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. And the rest is for our interpretation and understanding which I've just given you. But He went looking for His brother. Examine yourself. Has the knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord... See, I just reversed the words. But it doesn't confuse you, does it? Christ Jesus the Lord so affected you to want to share it with others? The Gospel is such glorious news that those truly Christ want to share it. Have you eagerly and enthusiastically shared the truth with your family? Yes, it's true that Jesus promised a sword in families, but not all, as right here. And it takes time. It takes time. Paul gives us such a wonderful example that he could wish that himself were accursed from Christ for his brethren. Romans 9, 1-5. through Brethren, my heart's desire. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And he goes on to explain what he means, saved from their ignorance about the fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ, but they going about to establish their own righteousness by animal sacrifices have missed the righteousness of Christ. He wants to convert them. He's talking about elect Israelites that didn't have the truth. It's like Aquila and Priscilla. They hear Apollos preach and they realize he's a little bit off track. They take him home immediately and explain to him the way of God more perfectly. We let God take care of the book of life and we take care of the perfection of their walk. What do you talk about? Who do you talk about? When you, when you meet with someone, who do you talk about? I want to commend Newell. Do I have an amen or do I need to say it? I'm just, I love you, brother. Amen. I remember praying with him about you. Yeah, you better say amen too, sister. <laughs> Jeff. Yes, brother. I know Greg. I commune with Greg. Matthew. Rhonda. Angela Eastland. Colin. Joel. Jason, Tammy, and if I miss someone, you're going to forgive me, but I've had a lot of pleasure this past week before the Lord going over these, remembering prayers, remembering encounters, events, communication, efforts. There's works in process. Patricia. Chelsea, come on, I want to see Thomas here. Sarah Pipkin, Zach, Sarah, wonderful. First, he finds his brother. It's wonderful to have a triple brother or sister in the Lord, in the church, and biologically connected. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Great examples. More of them. We need more of them. He first findeth his own brother Simon. And then he says to him, We have found the Messiah. 
the first and foremost subject of conversation should be God's truth in Jesus Christ. It should be about the man, Christ Jesus. Compare all the talk that's going on right now. Have you let out of your mouth the worthless words, Bernie Sanders? I'll try to honor the Word of God. Ted Cruz? The demon-possessed crusader Glenn Beck? That's what Alex Jones is saying this morning. Donald Trump? Are you kidding me? You would actually waste oxygen to talk about the third grade election that's going on? And all the name calling and the sand throwing in the sandbox? I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm as prone to it as anyone. Lord, help us. Oh, have you heard that he said this? Have you heard that he said that? They just tweak us back and forth, up and down every day. Do you want to have someone to talk? What are they going to do for us? What's Donald Trump going to do for you? You think Donald Trump's going to do something for you? You're putting your trust in him? How many hours do you think he stays awake at night praying for you? Think about it. I hate politics. Okay, I've got you next. Did you see LeBron James? Did you see him? He's the king! That's how they call LeBron James. He, he tries to play basketball for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Did you hear? Tom Brady is going to be sat down for the first four games of the NFL season. Did you hear about that? Who are we talking about? The pagan of pagans from Ann Arbor, Michigan, by way of California. You want a name? The Lamb of God. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. This is the Son of God. Do you know an A word for him? He is the Amen. amen. He is the second Adam. Right. Do you know a B name for him? Give me one. Bishop. Of our souls. The bright and morning star. Do you know, have a sea name for him. Captain of our salvation. How about a D name? The door. You know what? Did I hear another one? And on, do you think about who we have to talk about? What is Tom Brady, LeBron James, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Ted Cruz, any of those people going to do for you. This man came from heaven, lived on earth, died for you, went back into heaven, is coming back from heaven. All angels in an unseen realm of authority report to him, and he is going to redo the entire universe, and we will live with him as equal brothers, joint heirs with Christ. Now is, do you know what I'm saying? When I look in a mirror, I know total depravity. I know that there is within me a principle that hates, a power, a principle, an influence, an instinct that hates Jesus of Nazareth. Why is it easier to talk about all these other men? 
What do you want to ask me about Tom Brady? I probably know it. I'll, I'll strip, you know, I'll strip. It's ridiculous. Not LeBron. Well, when he moved back to Cleveland, I liked him more, but how about moving back to heaven? I'm serious. We don't talk enough about him. We want, we want to sing about him more. There is a real man in heaven coming back. He knows your name. He's got it written down. Let me tell you something about Tom Brady. He hasn't spent very many minutes thinking about Jonathan Crosby. Donald Trump hasn't spent very many minutes thinking about David Farmer. Have they? We're written down in the book of life. He sealed it with his blood. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the son of David. I wanted to go off on you on Wednesday night. I was, I, I had some days in the privacy of my home. <laughs> yes, it's private again. Uh, I hope you all know how I mean that. I had some wonderful days with the Lord in the latter part of this week. Just, I was a mess telling him I've only got a few years left, but they're all yours. Did you, did you, did you read the words of the song we sang that our brother pointed out? They're all his. I wanted to go off Wednesday night. If David had come into this assembly with his Gittites, if David had come into this assembly and his Gittites had made two rows up the middle and a row down both sides, and David had taken this pulpit, and you saw the charisma, the leadership, the authority, the power, your loins would have been loosed. This is what I was thinking. I'm sorry, sometimes I'm just crazy. This is what I was thinking. David's in here like that, and we're all just a mess. Because we haven't seen authority like that before. This isn't a janitor from Chicago. A goat herder from Kenya. This is David and his mighty Gittites. But then if Jesus Christ had come in, do you know what David would have done? His loins would have been loosed, and he would have beaten us to the feet of the Son of God and grabbed onto his ankles, and we would have seen that body of his shaking with sobs at love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a wild imagination. But these are Bible figures, and I know that it says, the, the Lord said unto my Lord, We have someone to talk about. He didn't play a football game with deflated footballs. He played the game of eternal life with the devil and the justice of Almighty God, and he won. He went straight into the teeth of the justice and holiness and righteousness and the wrath of Almighty God. He tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he drank that goblet and drained every bit of it, including the dregs, for you and for me. He tore the bars away of the tomb in which he was enclosed and sealed by the mightiest empire on earth. 
He tore those bars away, rose, showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days and 40 nights, ascended directly up in the presence of eyewitnesses into heaven, was received into clouds, and arrived in heaven shortly thereafter, and took the book out of him that sat upon the throne and began ripping the seals off it that have judged this earth for the last 2,000 years, and he is coming again for us, and he'll split the atmosphere open and receive us unto himself, and he's not ashamed to call us brethren in front of the angels who are greater in power and might than us, but we are his brothers and members of the inner circle around the throne of God. The angels are on our outside. Does that move you at all? Or do we need a mirror to look in it and say, total depravity. We're pitiful. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, as soon as Jesus sees Peter, he said, Thou art Simon, named after Simeon of the Old Testament. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Yeah, you think he was right? Good guess. Sort of like when a faith healer says to a crowd of 15,000, there's someone in here with kidney stones. Yeah, there's 2,000. There's someone in here with kidney stones and you just felt a feeling rush through your belly. After two hours in rock and roll music, you'll have feelings running through more than just your belly. It's nothing like that here. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Cephas is Syriac, Chaldean for stone. It is the same word that comes to us in Greek as Peter. Peter and Cephas, the same word meaning stone. Peter is going to declare the rock upon which the church is built, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, And he is going to be a stone after the Lord gets a hold of him, after Pentecost and fills him with the Holy Ghost. He was as firm as a stone could be in preaching on Pentecost the days following. And the Lord greatly used Simon Peter. This is the word of the Lord. This is the beginning of our religion. This is the transition of authority, leadership, teaching, and doctrinal ministry from John the Baptist to the Lord Jesus Christ, taking place in consecutive days, carefully outlined for us by John, by the Apostle John, with plenty of details for us to rejoice in and practical lessons. We ought to be speaking of the Lamb of God. We ought to be following Christ. If we seek Him... He'll seek us, and He knows that we're seeking Him. He will never turn us away. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And we should be wanting to share it with others, and I commend those of you that have done so. Let us be the greatest Christ worshipers possible. In Jesus' name, amen.